Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. I distinctly remember the day I heard of the Jonestown tragedy. I gathered in tight little clusters with my 7th grade classmates, talking over the events that were slowly emerging in the news. Almost a thousand people dead, including children and babies, Kool-Aid and cyanide. A senator shot to death trying to escape. A crazy man named Jim Jones. Ever since then, I've wondered how one man could orchestrate the death of so many people and why they would willingly kill themselves. As a teenager, I watched a TV documentary on Jones's life that focused on his affairs and how good people got duped. After reading Jeff Gwynn's 2017 biography of Jim Jones, I understood so much more. Gwynn interviews people who knew Jim Jones as a youngster, as well as people who knew him as a young man and idealistic reformer. He uses this information to put together a picture of a complex man whose life veered off the normal path degree by slow degree as more and more people joined his church, the People's Temple. Gwyn brings to light information that I never knew before. For example, Jim Jones helped Indianapolis integrate during the Civil Rights Movement without violence. Jones was a mass tactician in a battle against segregation. His understanding of human psychology helped him manipulate thousands of people, and his charismatic personality kept them coming back for more. Even though some of Jones' followers knew that he blatantly lied and manipulated the truth, Gwen states, Nothing was more important than the cause, facts included. The problem with demagogues is simple. They can't save us. When we fall under their spell, we risk everything, including our lives. One thing I knew for sure as a 7th grader, and as a 50-something adult, I would never join a cult. Would I? That's what I thought, until I read Amanda Montel's book, Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism. Montel has a deep interest in how cults work. Her father's parents forced him to join the Synanon cult when he was 14. He escaped after high school, and his experiences fueled Montel's desire to understand how cults use language to draw people in, sometimes without them even realizing it. Cult membership always starts with brainwashing, right? Not really. According to Montel, brainwashing is a pseudoscientific concept that the majority of psychologists she spoke with denounced. Montel suggests it would be better to look at what techniques charismatic leaders use to exploit people's fundamental needs for community and meaning. Cult leaders use words, from redefining existing words to inventing new ones creating powerful euphemisms, secret codes, buzzwords, chants, mantras, hashtags, or just renaming things, to alter our understanding of truth, to encourage us to ignore what would normally make us stop and think. We aren't so much brainwashed as sucked into a whirlpool of hopeful thinking about the way we wish the world would be. To put it another way, we fall victim to cults because of confirmation bias. So, let's look at confirmation bias first of all. Confirmation bias is an ingrained human reasoning flaw defined by the propensity to look for, interpret, accept, 
and remember information in a way that validates and strengthens our existing beliefs while ignoring or dismissing anything that goes against our beliefs. That's the definition Montel gives in her book, Cultish. Let me give you an example. A former student cornered me in the gymnasium during a cultural fair to talk about how we, the teachers at the school, had done him wrong. How could we get up in front of rational, almost adults, and claim that the world was round? Everyone knew the earth was flat. Any protest I made, the young man brushed off, accusing me of being brainwashed. I forgot by whom, and part of the problem because I believed the earth was round. The entire conversation felt surreal. This same young man wrote a research paper, when he was one of my students, on how marijuana was good for you. None of his sources included actual scientific studies, and he couldn't find any evidence that smoking weed might be detrimental to one's health, sexuality, motivation, or ability to find success. He suffered from confirmation bias. Cultish leaders are looking for people's pain points and making vague yet powerful promises to provide a solution. Political campaign managers and crafty cult leaders are great at doing this. Once they find people's pain points, they move on to love bombing. Love bombing includes words of affirmation that make listeners believe they are valuable and can, and can accomplish incredible things. Think about people on social media who use terms like hashtag girlboss or other gushing terms to describe you, your content, or situations you've survived. Trust me, they found you through an algorithm and they're fishing for followers. Politicians have people to study the algorithms for them too, and they know how to stoke their supporters' egos with carefully selected words which show loving support and admiration because the supporter has made the wise decision to turn to them for leadership. After exploiting our weaknesses for confirmation bias and stroking our egos with love bombs, cultish leaders draw us into community by pointing out how others depend on us. We all need to feel needed. You find yourself willing to donate just a little more money, buy the next course, or sign up more people in your downline because you don't want to let the leader or the community down, even if it means letting your family or yourself down. Our need to belong keeps us in cultish groups, often long past our rational brain's warning lights and caution sirens. Cultish leaders use us-versus-them commentary to keep us afraid of changes the them might enact should we allow them to win an election or find out what really happens in our group. Being inside matters more than anything. Hitler's textbook use of this tactic caused the deaths of millions of Jews. Having an us, the Aryans, versus them, the Jews, mindset, made it possible to dehumanize strangers, neighbors, and even family members. As part of the us versus them indoctrination, cultish groups like to assign new meanings to words and develop acronyms and shorthand slang that only insiders understand. It helps with group unity if they can speak in code words outsiders don't understand. Cultish leaders use thought-terminating cliches to shut down reasonable and rational questions. A thought-terminating cliché is a phrase that stops us from asking questions without really answering anything. For example, when someone brings up a concern in Shambhala, they will be told, 
Why don't you sit with that? Which really isn't an answer to an honest question. According to Stephen Hassan, a mental health counselor, cults fall on a spectrum from healthy and constructive to unhealthy and destructive. According to Hassan, groups on the destructive end of the spectrum use three kinds of deception. Omission of what you need to know, distortion to make whatever they're saying more acceptable, and outright lies. Cults at the healthy and constructive end of the spectrum are upfront about what they believe in, what they want from you, and what they expect from your membership. If you want to leave, there are no serious consequences. Well, it's easy to claim we would never drink the Kool-Aid. It was actually a cheaper knockoff brand of sweetened drink, but no one remembers that. It would behoove all of us to take an occasional inventory of the groups we identify with, the politicians or causes we support, and the religion we participate in. Here are the six things to consider when doing a personal inventory of your beliefs and who you follow. Consideration number one, do you only hang out with people like you? A sure sign you may lean towards confirmation bias rather than careful consideration. Consideration number two, has someone been love bombing you and stroking your ego to manipulate you? Consideration number three, have you ever assessed your need to belong and how it directs your choices for group membership? Consideration number four. Do any of the groups you belong to have an us versus them mentality? How has this worked for you? Do you find yourself less tolerant towards people you once had no feelings about? Have you learned a new lingo to fit in with the group? Consideration number five. Do leaders in the group employ thought-terminating cliches to shut down honest questions? And consideration number six, where on the spectrum of cults does your group belong? Is it on the healthy, constructive end? Or does it lean toward the unhealthy and destructive end? You'll know if you see deception in the leadership, omission of key information, distortion, and lies. So if someone accuses you, whether in jest or in all seriousness, of belonging to a cult, it's a good idea to consider these six things. Chances are, there's at least one group you belong to that falls somewhere on the cultish scale, which isn't always a bad thing, but it is definitely something you need to consider an inventory to make sure that you don't fall prey to a deception as big as the ones perpetrated by Heaven's Gate leader or Jim Jones. Come back next week when I talk about the difference between scheduling in self-care or just promising to take care of yourself. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.